Morning. We all right? Good. Just before I begin, um, you might be wondering about the lady with the purple hair, who you might have recognised as Abby, who was at the back. Um, we've asked her to take a few pictures. She's not at the back anymore. She's gone out with the youth. But you can check out the hair when you come back. Um, but the reason that I mention it to you is because we are going to be advertising to have a new curate. And also we want to update our website. A lot of the pictures are out of date. And so she's going to be taking some photos. Now she's going to be taking a lot. So if you think, actually I don't want either yourself or your son or daughter to be in the photos, let me know and we'll just make sure they're not. Is that all right? Yeah, so just come and find me at the end. I'll write that down and we'll go from there. We are today thinking about making disciples. And you might want a pen because I'm going to deliberately preach shorter and then invite you to ask any questions. So if you've got a pen somewhere, worth hanging on to that. Some of you are raising your eyebrows. Well, I've got some difficult questions. (laughs) Fair enough. Not a problem. So we're dealing with making disciples. And I don't know if you've kind of been aware that making disciples, if you're a Christian, that's what we all are meant to be doing. We are all meant to be helping someone else to come to and grow in faith, and we are meant to be helping ourselves to be developing as a follower of Jesus as well. So whoever you are, if you're a Christian this morning, making disciples should be relevant to you. I wondered if you've ever thought why disciples and not pupils or students or any other word, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Next slide, please, Pam. There are four questions that I'd like to deal with, particularly today. What was a disciple? So what did that word mean? How did Jesus make disciples? How can we learn from how they went out and what was happening as they went out? Notice that the second two are about going. And the primary purpose of discipleship, really, part of its end goal is about the going. First of all, though, what is a disciple and why did that term get used? And why do we not say pupil, students, whatever else. And I think it comes down to what a disciple actually was. You see, back then, uh, you would have gone out if you wanted to, to become a disciple, and you'd find someone, and you'd listen to what they said, and you'd say, oh, they've got some decent wisdom going on. But then also, you'd look at their life, and how they behaved, and what they did, and say, oh, actually, I'd quite like to be like them. And that was what a disciple was, where you learnt to be like your teacher, like your rabbi. Not just their knowledge, but other stuff as well. So if you wanted, for example, to be a disciple of a particular person, you wouldn't just go and listen to them, but you might follow them around and go, well, how do they do various things in their lives? That's what it meant to be a disciple. In case you're wondering about the picture, I found a funny story this week because uh, disciples were typically teenagers and there was a story of one who hid in his rabbi's bedroom because he wanted to see absolutely everything his rabbi did in order that when he was a grown-up and got married that he'd be able to copy his rabbi in all things. I'm quite glad that we've moved past that. But it reaffirms that sort of idea of discipleship is about copying Now, we don't lose our personalities in the middle of it. I love the quote that we talked about a little while ago, who Jesus would be if Jesus were me. So we need to be aware, Jesus did not have the same personality as all of us. 
He would have been more introvert or extrovert or outgoing or whatever. And so as we look at him, we want to be thinking, not just I want to be and do as Jesus did, but also did Jesus' personality play a role there? And in which case, we might have to adjust some of what he did to account that we are not exactly the same personalities as Jesus. So let's, uh, one more slide, please. Just a few examples to get us thinking. So if I want to think, how should I do something in my life? The question is, how did Jesus do it? So how did Jesus pray? That's quite an easy one, isn't it? We've got the Lord's Prayer. Copying, that's not too hard. How did Jesus do arguments? A bit more difficult. How did he have parties? His parties look quite fun, don't they? Who did he invite to his parties? How did Jesus spend his time? How did he rest? How did he have priorities? These are all the sorts of questions that we might want to ask because they help us to know, how do I do those things? So let's take the hardest example of all of those. How did Jesus do arguments? So have a little think to yourself. If you want to, you can talk to someone near you. How did he do arguments and conflict? And does that tell us anything about how we should do arguments and conflict? It's a good one, isn't it? So sometimes Jesus asked questions back when he got into an argument. Sometimes he seems to have not given an answer at all. Sometimes he reasoned with the person. And sometimes he was really blunt and was quite confrontational. And so Jesus acted different ways at different times with different conflicts. And you might want to go back in your Bible and think, well, why did he behave differently at different times? And do we need to do the same thing? I don't like being blunt with people, but Jesus was sometimes. So sometimes are we called to do that? We'll have a mull over that. So that's our first thing. What was a disciple? Someone who copied their teacher. Next question. How did he make disciples? Now, um, I'm nicking here from Mike Breen. Have you come across him? One of you has. Nobody else has. Okay, a few of you have. So this is his idea. And what he was trying to do is analyse how did Jesus make disciples and think, well, could we learn from him, which we can. So there are four sides to this square, as they are with all squares. <laughs> And so, next slide, please. So, we are going to go along the top first. So, the first part of making a disciple is watch me. So, Jesus encouraged his disciples, watch me. At the end of our passage, blessed are you who've seen the things, you know, and they've seen all sorts, haven't they, his disciples. So, that's step one, watch me. And if you're helping someone else to grow in their faith, the first line of that is, can I demo something for you? So perhaps if I'm trying to encourage someone to share faith with a friend, I might say, well, come to a party with me and we'll see if I can share faith with anyone and you can watch. And that's maybe the first one. Or if you want to see social action or you want to see preaching or if you want to see something else, the first thing is watch. Next one is now try it with me. 
You might notice we do that in the band here. So in our worship here, we invite people who are starting to grow in confidence in an instrument, come and join the band. You don't have to lead it straight away, but come and join it. Do it with me. That's our next bit. Then along the bottom, now I'll watch and you have a go. We did that with our preaching team, for example. So particularly with our youth preaching team, what do you notice when you watch the preachers at the front? Next thing, let's do it a bit together. And the next thing is, now I'm going to watch and give you some feedback about it. Then the last one is, now you do it without me. Do you notice, by the way, the one Jesus missed out? So to give you an example, Jesus did lots of disciples watch me. On the now with me, Jesus fed the 5,000 and he did some other miracles where they seemed to be getting involved a little bit. Jesus doesn't seem to do the bottom one. of you have a go and I'll watch you. Instead, he seems to jump straight to the other side and go, right, get on with it. Go out there and give it a go and see what happens. In our churches, I think we get a bit worried about some of this square. We get a bit worried about the top one because we think it won't be very humble to tell anyone to watch what I do. And we forget the fact that actually we have got skills and talents and abilities that God has gifted and grown in us that it's fine to say to somebody else, do you want to come and watch? I think the other thing we miss out on is the last one. Now have a go at it without me. So if I was in this church, for example, I was someone who was really good at hearing from God. My hope would be that someone else says, can I watch? Tell me, how do you hear from God? How does that work? Then we might pray for someone together. And I might then say, oh, you have a go at listening to God for them and I'll do the same. And then I might say, now you pray for someone else and listen to God for them and I'll maybe just watch. But the next bit surely is, now you go and get on with it. And then you find someone else and do the same thing. And then gradually we have more and more people that God has gifted and become more and more disciples for him. So that's how did Jesus make disciples. And you might want to think for yourself in your life group or with the people that you know, how are you doing that? Both how are you doing that for someone else, but also how is someone else doing that for you? Is there someone, for example, that you might phone this week and say, you do something I think I should be doing, and I think I have a similar gifting, but it's not developed in the same way. Can I come and watch you? Can you come and help train me up? Can you help show me the thing that you're good at? Jesus did not teach typically in a classroom, but he got them out there and said, give it a go. He did it first with the 12 disciples. If you backtracked in Luke, you'd see that the 12 go out first. They'd had the most training and the most teaching, so they go out first. And then after that, he goes out with the 72. Or rather, they go out without him. I don't know if you've wondered why 72. It's a funny sort of number, isn't it? If you counted up all the nations in the world in Genesis 10, that's the number you, came, you get up get up to. So it's the kind of symbolic, we're going to reach everybody. That's not just for a few, but we are now going out and the aim is to reach the whole world. So that's our first two. What's a disciple and how did Jesus make disciples? We're now on to the third one, which considering we're five minutes in, we're not doing badly. There's only four and then you get to ask some questions. 
So the next one is, how do we learn from how the disciples went out? The first thing I think we learn is realism. Realism. In all four Gospels, well, it's interesting to note, what is in all four Gospels? What gets repeated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And one of the things that is repeated is the sower. It gets repeated as a whole parable in some and as a paraphrase in others. And the reason it's there, I think, is really important. Because Jesus was saying, I've got rejected, you will get rejected, and your message will get rejected. But it will also be accepted by some people. Now, if you're not familiar with the sower parable, Jesus was saying, as you go out and you share God's word, the message of me, some people would be good soil, and you share the news of Jesus, and it grows in their lives, and they become Christians, and they continue and lead other people to faith. And other people, you're sowing it, and you're like, it's not going anywhere. It feels like it's not growing. Like they're not accepting it, they just reject it. It's like sowing onto the path, it's not going anywhere. Other people, you sow it, and then the weeds grow up. Now, I always think that's an interesting one, the weeds. And for the most part, I would say that's busyness in our culture. So when someone becomes a Christian, and they start to grow a little bit, and then they say, but I'm not going to go to a house group, and I'm not going to come on a Sunday, and I'm not going to be involved with any other Christians because I've got, I don't know, typically sport, (laughs) often other things. And I think, oh, So we're basically planting weeds. Like that is never going to grow because it just doesn't have any space. And so we sow on different kinds of soil. Now, mostly like sport and scouts and whatever else is perfectly good. But at times, busyness is the one obstacle that prevents us growing as Christians. And we need to be a bit careful of that sometimes. So just have a little think about yourself. Who are you sharing Jesus with and what kind of soil do you think they are at the moment are they ready to hear is it that you share it but it's not going anywhere is it like they're not ready yet is it being choked by something else Jesus shares this parable really on purpose so his disciples know go for the people who are ready why does he do that because he knows he's only got a small group of people to work with at the moment, but every time someone else says yes, that's another person added in to the workforce, to the team, to then go out and share that with more people. Now, I find this really difficult, and I was uh, praying about this just a little while ago, and I felt God say to me, everyone I've got in my life that I'm trying to share with is like the path. They're not ready. They're like the rocks. And that therefore I need to meet some other people who are the good soil. I still pray for the rocks. I still pray for the people who aren't ready. But ultimately, if I find the people who are ready to hear and that Jesus has prepared, then they come to faith. And then we've got more of us on the team that are kind of reaching out with the love and the news of Jesus. Jesus goes even further and says, shake the dust off your feet. If they reject it at the moment, then leave them for the moment. Keep praying for them. But leave them for the moment and go and find those who are ready to hear. The second one about going out, I think, is reliance. And it's a really interesting one. Was Jesus short of money or resources? No. 
He could have made more, couldn't he? So why does he not say to his disciples, here's my checkbook, here's some bags of stuff you'll need for the journey, and off you go, I've booked a holiday in. Wouldn't that have been much nicer? If I was a disciple, I would not want to know I was going out like a lamb amongst wolves. I'd want to go, I'm going with the checkbook, and it's all going to be fine. But that isn't what Jesus said. I think it's interesting. Right in the DNA of the sending is reliance. He forced them to be reliant on people. They had to find someone who probably was not yet a Christian, who would put them up for the night, who would cook their dinner. They had to find someone who might give them the next pair of sandals if they wore out. They had to be part of community. It makes me wonder about church. I would much rather start a ministry here if we had enough money and enough people and all the rest of it. But sometimes I wonder if God would say, why don't you work with other people who are not part of this yet? Is there space for those who don't have a faith and who are not part of the church yet to get involved? And actually, would that be better? Would they rub up alongside us better, get to know each other, and then faith is kind of passed on as we serve? Maybe just take a minute. What would that look like? If perhaps like in messy church, we had people coming along and helping who were not people who had a faith. And perhaps the same for Connect and the same for other things. I wonder if that would do a lot of good actually for people to be involved, to be involved, to be able to give, to be able to be part of that. Jesus encouraged his disciples to be reliant on others. He sent them out, not with everything they would need, but knowing that they would have to go and form relationships with other people and make friends and be in each other's lives. What I wonder then happened as they went. This is our fourth question. What was happening as they went? Well, the first thing is is that they would enter a house and the peace that they had from Jesus in their hearts They would pray onto the people in the house. And if those people accepted them, then that peace would remain. It's often when you read books about mission and outreach and doing good in the community, they often call these people of peace, people who are significant in the community, that if they accept us and the message, then then a whole bunch more people will accept that as well. Just have a little think for yourself. Who do you know that you think, oh, they might be someone who would be a person of peace, someone who, if they accepted us, that would then affect all these other people. I imagine you might know people like that. I know a few. There's a couple that I'm talking to at the moment who I think, oh, you are one of the people, like the gatekeepers of the community. And if you come to love Jesus, I reckon there's about 30 more people there who will go, oh, well, if he's accepted you, then you must be all right. (laughs) It's worth praying about those people, praying God's peace on those people. What else did the disciples do when they went out? Well, they healed the sick. They said to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The world as God wants it to be, come down. That's come near to you. Did you notice in verse 17, they overstepped the mark? I thought that was quite interesting. He sent them out to heal and to preach and they come back and they say, we've been casting out demons. And I think, oh, that's interesting. Jesus didn't tell you to do that, but you've done it anyway. I wonder, did they see what Jesus did 
They were becoming like him. So they went, well, if Jesus cast out demons and we've got his authority, then let's do this. I find that fascinating. The demons are subject to us in your name. Because we've got Jesus' authority with us, even the demons submit to us. We are a little bit like proxy Jesuses, mini Jesuses going out in the community. And we have his authority to go out with. Do you know, if we had come back off that trip, wouldn't we have been bouncing off the ceiling? How excited would we have been when we came back? And they were too, but Jesus says, remember what matters. Your names are written in heaven. Do you know, if you're a Christian today, that's true for you. That your name is written in heaven. There is no doubt where you're going when you die. He's already preparing a place for you. You have absolute certainty of where you're going. Whatever bumps happen on the way, that's what's happening. Your name is written in heaven because he loves you. It's worth kind of just taking that in for a moment and just thinking, you know, even if I see raising the dead, I'd love that. Even if I see healings, even if I see the most important thing, my name is written in heaven because I'm forgiven and loved and welcomed. Verse 18, if I can point you to that, is a slightly funny one. They come back, Jesus is talking to them, and then he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, or, which is actually a better translation, I was watching Satan falling like lightning. As they went out and did these things that God told them to do, it was like Satan was being pushed back, like the enemy was having to retreat. He was being made to push back. Jesus saw something in the spiritual about that. That's true for us as well. As we go out, as we share the news of Jesus and pray, Satan is being pushed back, is having to retreat. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I love coming up with new ideas for how we might reach people, but none of it works unless the battle in the spiritual is being won, unless we're praying and seeing that pushed back. There is no opportunity for people's eyes to be open to Jesus unless something is happening in the spiritual. And we're praying and we're seeing lives changed and eyes opened. So just to recap briefly where we've been this morning. What is a disciple? Someone who copies the person they're learning from. Someone who tries to emulate them in every way. How did Jesus make disciples? By getting them to watch, do with him have a go without him when he watched, and then they went off again. What can we learn from how they went? They went with realism. Not everyone will accept it, but go with the good soil and reliance. They didn't have everything they needed because they were meant to be in relationship with the people that they were reaching, and so they were meant to have to rely on them for things. And what was happening when they went? Healings, miracles, people coming to faith. And Satan was being pushed back. But in all of that excitement, remembering the thing that matters most, your name is written in the book. So take a few minutes, have a little think, see if there's anything that you would like to ask this morning. You're welcome to talk to someone next to you, if that will help.
I'm not saying I'll have all the answers, by the way. <laughs> all right, would anyone like to kick us off with a question? Go on then, Jim. Yep. Yep. Great. So Jesus' disciples were copying Jesus. He was a perfect example. We are not a perfect example. So how do we encourage people when we're trying to make them disciples and they're looking at us? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say that's why whenever I'm helping someone to come to growing in faith and discipleship, I'm being quite humble. I'm not exactly like Jesus. I'm going to make a mess. And all the time we're pointing to Jesus, but we're saying, I think it's Peter who says, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, I'm trying to copy him as much as I can. You're going to find that hard to see at the moment, so can I model some of that to you? But together, we're going to be following Christ. So... I think it's easiest to do in things like things that we have already learned ourselves. So, for example, if um, I'm trying to think of something that Jesus has taught me that I struggled with. So, for example, like I really struggled with, I used to avoid conflict all the time, hated it. Perhaps some of you are like that as well. You just hate it. You'd rather go and hide in a burrow somewhere than face the person who's annoyed you. But gradually, Jesus has kind of reformed me and taught me not to be afraid of people. And I've started to learn that, and so perhaps I can help to model that to other people. So I think it's in the specifics, and probably not saying copy me in everything, because I do stuff that's still a mess, but I'm working on it. Anything else? What other questions have we got? Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Good, great question. So do we just write off anyone who doesn't straight away say yes to Jesus or not? And I would, I would describe it a little bit like this. I've got people in my life that have been atheists for 25 years. And I've tried to share Jesus with them and they go, No. And so what I'm trying to do is I fly fish with them every now and then. I give them another opportunity to say, have you changed your mind yet? You know, is there something else I can tell you or share with you or whatever? Because sometimes people soften, and that will be true of people in the room today, that some of you were hard soil until Jesus did something and suddenly you were ready to hear. But I'm not going to spend all my time because I know that they're not ready. So I'm going to fly fish and still love them and pray for them but they're not ready. Whereas if someone I pray for, so for example, I pray for every baptism family I visit, and they often say, oh, I felt something then. And then we have a little conversation. I think, well, are you open to know more about Jesus? And if you are, that's really worth my time. And I'm going to share more. But if you're not, I don't want to force feed you when you're not ready. So I think it's that fly fishing. We don't write people off, but at the same time, I think we've got to be honest with ourselves and say, if people are not ready, maybe we have to just do a little bit of fly fishing every now and then until they are ready, but still love them and pray for them. I think that's as good as I can do, really. Any other questions? Yep. Hmm. 
that's an interesting question. So do we have to pray and do something like and win the battle spiritually before we go out, or does that happen as we go out? That's interesting, wasn't it? Personally, I don't notice that the disciples had a prayer meeting before they went. They might have done, but we don't know that. But I suspect that they prayed as they went, and I think either is not a problem, really. But it's that awareness as you go, this person's eyes are not ready to see yet, and they need to be opened. Someone said to me a while ago, it's light and sight. So you need to have the news shared with you, that's like the light coming into your life. But also you need something spiritual, your eyes to be opened so you can accept it and see it. But I, I would say that there needs to be that spiritual change happen before people can really fully gonna grasp it. Anything else? Any other questions that have come up to you today during this? No? Oh, go on then, Taz. So for the benefit of you if you're on live streaming, um, sometimes we think someone's hard ground and they're not ready to hear, but actually there's something else going on under the surface and we need to pray more to kind of see that breakthrough happen. I think that's really important. I'm often almost encouraged if people are antagonistic and angry because I think, oh, it must be worth it if you're annoyed about it. <laughs> I'm not annoyed with stuff I don't care about. Often there's something else there, maybe a hurt or something else that, yeah, good. Okay, should we pray together? Oh, sorry, did you have one last one? Of course. Yeah. Mm. So what happens with people who knew Jesus before and then have fallen, have fallen away? Yeah. Um, I can't give a very easy, short answer, but um, this week I've been talking to some people who said, can we have a group that's a bit like for the prodigals, if you like, where we can come together, those of us who are all carrying somebody in our lives that we think, oh, you've, you knew him, but you've walked away. Can we have a little group where we kind of share some sort of thoughts, expertise, pray together, share a bit of that pain, because it's hard, isn't it? And so I think we might well start something up that will be, you know, maybe just a few sort of sessions where we can at least sit with people who have got the same lived experience in the room and share some ideas and expertise and, and, and pray for each other. And that'd be good. Hard. Shall we pray together? So, Father, we start by just saying thank you. If we know you, we thank you that our names are written in your book in heaven, that there is no doubt about that. We pray, God, that we would know that certainty right down into our depths, that if we've said yes to you, that you have said yes to us.
And Lord, where we doubt that, we pray that you would continue to speak that over us. I have chosen you. I love you. Your name is written in the book. I'm not taking it out. Lord, we pray for our own discipleship. Lord, you long for each of us to grow in your likeness until we meet you face to face. So we pray, Lord, that you'd help us with that. You would put alongside us people that you want to share things, to sow things into our lives. Lord, we don't want every year to be a rerun of the last year. We want to be going forward. So we pray you would lead us and cause us to be proactive about our own growth in you. And Lord, we pray for those people that we would love to come to know you and those people that we'd love to grow more in you. Lord, give us confidence in what you have done in our lives, in our story. Give us confidence that we go out with your authority. Lord, help us to not worry if we get it wrong. The disciples got it wrong loads. Father, we ask that you would guide us and steer us. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would go ahead of us, that you would be clearing the ground in the spiritual, that you would be pushing back the darkness, that eyes would be opened and turned to you. And we pray, God, that just as the disciples came back excited on the adventure you had taken them on, Lord, that you would make us excited that we would celebrate and be excited and enjoy the adventure you have us on. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.